0: Coming up on Target USA. What you hear is a woman talking about her plan for suicide bombing that killed 15 people, including eight children. She is a part of a growing demographic of terrorists. We'll explore what's driving the increase in female terrorists. That's coming up on this episode of Target USA. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. Pricing information is great and necessary, but there's more to buying a car than just price. There's the actual buying experience, and to enjoy a better one, you have to go to a TrueCar certified dealer. They're there to help you find the car you want and they are what make TrueCar unique. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can lock in guaranteed savings off MSRP and enjoy a better buying experience. TrueCar users save an average of $3,279 off MSRP. You will work directly with a TrueCar certified dealer contact. There are more than 11,000 TrueCar certified dealers nationwide and more than 2 million cars have been sold to true Car users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. TrueCar customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with TrueCar Certified Dealers. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar.com or download the TrueCar app to enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target, USA.
1: A very graphic situation. San
0: Bernardino. An act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all
2: of humanity.
0: The Islamic State. i Obama. They want
1: you to imagine them in the shadows.
0: Hostile nation states. can inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals.
2: Decryption successful.
0: America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm JJ Green. The other voice you hear belongs to Alam Tamini, talking about the operation. It was the suicide bombing at the Sabra restaurant in 2001 in Jerusalem that killed 15 people, eight of them children, wounding 145 people. She said it was her job to make a general plan for the bombing and to lead the suicide bomber to the location. There appears to be an increase in the number of women involved in terrorism, either from a planning or a logistical or simply a support role. We wanted to know why. And on this week's program, we talk with several experts. Tara Maller is a spokesperson and senior policy advisor for the Counter-Extremism Project. The element of females getting involved in terrorism is, is a major and growing concern, it seems to me, and to many of the people that cover terrorism. I'm interested in your view and what your research is telling you about females getting involved. Is this... An increase or are we just more aware of what's happening?:
3: Sure. Well, if you're talking about ISIS specifically, they have been using women. There have been reports about an estimated 600 women from Western countries reportedly joined ISIS as of December 2015, and even more so you know from non-western countries. But I will caveat that by saying the data isn't so great. So you know when you're looking at data on these issues, it's very difficult to actually measure the extent of the problem. Uh, I would say that they have actually made efforts to recruit women specifically. We see this in terms of their strategy. We see this in terms of them using women recruiters to reach out to women. And we've also seen uh, recently, for example, in France, a cell that was disrupted um, planning an attack that was all female. So it's definitely part of their strategy. They're definitely making an effort to recruit women. And obviously within places like Raqqa itself, Uh, women are an integral part of of what is actually happening there. They have a women's brigade, for example, in Syria, which is comprised of primarily women. And they're not just being used for recruitment purposes, but in some cases they are being used to potentially uh, be part of cells to carry out attacks or to mobilize women overseas to carry out attacks. So again, it's very difficult to measure the scope, but it is clear that this is an issue and that women are being recruited by ISIS.
0: Well then, anecdotally, does it appear to be an increase, or are we just more aware of it?
3: Well, if you're talking about with, within ISIS itself, I'd say the awareness has increased. But I do think that you've seen ISIS over time as well um, make women more of an integral part of their strategy, because we've seen, we, we, we haven't seen we have seen, for example, an all-female cell before being disrupted in Europe uh, in terms of an operational cell. That was a recent development. In terms of the numbers themselves, I'd say they probably have gone up over time, but that's because we've seen, you know, foreign fighter numbers also, you know, with increases in foreign fighters going to Syria, with increases in um, mobilization online and radical, radicalization of individuals online increasing. You know, women are a part of this. Um, but having said that, our attention to the issue has also grown, which I think is a good thing, particularly because. Uh, early on, we were not necessarily paying attention to the mistreatment and what was actually happening to many of these women within Syria um, and, and places that are ISIS-controlled as well. It, even when they're being used within the organization, they're still horrifically mistreated and subject to uh, both physical abuse and sexual violence. And, and to the degree that we are paying more attention to that now, um, I think that's actually very important.
0: So there's a bit of both, a bit of more awareness and an increase as well. Let's ask this question True. then. What yes. um, are you, why? Why, why are women joining these organizations? Sure.
3: So in some cases, the reasons may parallel what you see for men joining. But in, in, in other cases, there are other narratives going on. So the same way that uh, men are being recruited online through social media platforms and radicalized by exposure to ISIS content, um, women are, are, are facing the same thing. And in many cases, it's women who, you know, are maybe having difficulties in areas of their life if, the, if they're not within the ISIS-controlled territory themselves and you know, they may be vulnerable to this sort of messaging. Having said that, there are some differences in many of the narratives um, with the women that we see, uh, the stories that are told to them about coming to sort of the caliphate uh, for religious reasons. There's an appeal made in many cases that they're going to be getting married to an individual there. We see many of them traveling sometimes with significant others, boyfriends, or with the hopes of meeting a particular individual that they've connected with online. So there's a bit of that going on. Um, and many of them are doing it to sort of get out of a troubled situation, perhaps where they where they were at home. I, I don't want to necessarily say that there's one cause for many of the women, because just like when you look at men and what makes somebody decide to go join ISIS, particularly from a Western country, there's there are many different narratives going on across all of these cases with some common elements but also unique circumstances uh, across all the cases. You've had um, American girls being recruited online and migrating uh, over there. You've had people from Europe. Sally Jones, was, it, who has become a big recruiter. She's Western and very active, uh, was a woman. And again, the, the, the cell we just saw in France, those are French women who were... Uh, and thwarted before carrying out a plot.
0: So the the idea here about women joining this this organization and any terror organization um, should focus more around the fact that these women are not being duped or tricked into doing this. In many occasions, they're doing it deliberately, in possession of their own intelligence and making a conscious decision to join.
3: Well, they may be making a conscious decision to join in terms of being of going there but i'd argue that in a sense they are somewhat being duped because the information that they are being given about what is exactly is going to take place once they get there just like in many cases with the men isn't always accurate so the portrait that you know the, that individuals in Syria are painting of a rosy uh, you know wonderful life of a religious observance of the caliphate might be omitting some of the harsh treatment and by harsh treatment i mean awful, brutal, horrific violence, and yeah. in, I mean, in many cases, execution sure. for breaking religious rules or, and you know, forced marriages and all sorts sure. of Sure, so,
0: so let me ask this question, then, another way. It's not that these women are joining, per se, because they simply want to live that life, to seek that adventure that many men join terrorist groups for, um, to kill, to maim, to uh, essentially experience this... "Quote unquote adventure." So it's not necessarily that women are joining for the same reason, but for different reasons.
3: True, I, I would agree with that assessment. In some cases, that again, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization. We've seen women go there who have played roles in recruitment operations, and we've seen women being used and trained to potentially carry out attacks. But that some of the narratives are different. There's also, you know, some individuals. And this is also probably, you know, the case when you look across the cases of men as well, is that they see the horrors of the Syrian conflict and the impact it's having on people. And they may be frustrated and, and they may believe that they can, you know, be, become part of ISIS and do something and make a difference. Uh, so in, in many cases, there's there's a, a, an appeal to both a new type of life. There's an appeal to religion, uh, religious observance for for many of these women, and there's also sometimes just a connection with an individual in the territory. And in some cases, there's you know romantic or marriage um, uh, narratives going on there as well.
0: You you know, as well know that um, this this phenomenon of of terrorism involving women is is not new. the The person that killed Rajiv Gandhi was a woman, and that was more than 20 years ago. Um, but what is new? about what we are seeing today involving women?
3: Well, I think one of the things that is new is the online element to all of this. So ISIS has been extremely, extremely effective at radicalizing individuals online, men and women, uh, reaching you know women that they might have not been able to reach before. And in this case, getting women to perhaps mobilize and actually travel to to some of these places things that wouldn't have happened without online radicalization or exposure to this content online. And I think that is actually a big part of the story, not just for women, but for men, because it allows you know individuals in places like Raqqa, Syria and in Mosul, Iraq, to create narratives that reach women in all parts of, of, of the world and reach women that might not be happy with their particular circumstances. And I think ISIS has, ex, has exploited online media to do this, both with men and women. Um, I, I also think, I mean, the fact that they pride themselves on... Um, you know, these strong religious principles combined with this horrific and awful treatment of women. Um, that's not necessarily new, but I think they've actually taken it to a, a level and extent that goes beyond uh, perhaps what we've seen in the past. The executions that have taken place within ISIS whole territories, the mistreatment of women, the, you know, systemic sexual violence that's taking place. Um, all of these are, are, are I don't want to say new by any means, but they're, you know, in areas that are completely controlled by ISIS, probably some of the worst, you know, horrific, you know, brutal acts of violence against women in a concentrated place by a group that we've seen sure. um, by a terrorist group. And, you know, including, I guess there are other groups also, you know, Boko Haram kidnapping women and children and, and you know, kidnapping is going on in the ISIS territories as well. So again, I don't want to overstate it by saying we've never seen this before historically, but I would say that, that the level and, and the extent and the, and, and and ISIS tends not to hide their violence. That's something that's new. ISIS you know, puts out their beheading videos. In many cases in the past, brutal dictators or groups, they try to conceal their violence and it's human rights organizations or journalists who try to expose it. In the case of ISIS, a lot of their violence and a lot of their calls for violence and a lot of their displays of violence are actually put out by them, um, not being revealed by others, but actually used in, in some of their messaging and recruitment. And a lot of this happens with beheading videos and executions that they're
1: distributed
0: online. Taking into account the Islamic State Group's methodology for attracting people to the organization and the fact that it seems to have sunk into the populace around the world, even to very young people, was something that we needed to understand better. So we went to the State Department to talk to Irfan Saeed, who's Director of Countering Violent Extremism in the State Department's
2: Bureau of Counterterrorism, and countering violent extremism. It's very concerning when you see not only the rise of women joining these groups but how young they are and that's I think what's great what's brought greater attention to this issue. You have women and uh, you know going over in 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 rates uh, from all over the world to Syria Iraq to join this fight. You're also seeing women uh, become more radicalized to violence domestically here in the United States and then in places like France, Belgium, throughout North Africa, throughout uh, Central Asia um, uh, and so you're seeing them much more likely to engage in acts of violence but I think the fact that they are getting younger and younger and if you look here in the United States we had a case in Denver where you had fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen-year-old girls. In the UK, you had uh, sort of a nineteen-year-old woman, uh, a young woman, trying to recruit and actually successfully recruiting thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen-year-olds from you know parts of London to leave their homes and go join this fight. That I think has brought greater attention to the issue. So it's a combination of both. What do the what do girls bring to the terrorist fight for terrorists?
0: What what do young girls like that? I mean, we know about Jihad Jane and. Sally Jones, we know for the most part what their view is. They're sort of hardened people who have these views or revenge or something already concrete. What do these young girls with very little understanding about,
2: I think, terrorism, what do they bring to terror groups? So yeah, look at it from two sides, I think. Um, What's bringing them to the fight and why groups like ISIL are trying to bring them to the fight? What brings them to the fight is this, uh, what we've learned, is a sense of belonging, a sense of uh, wanting to do greater than what, what their place in life is. And they're finding this through this narrative that ISIL is putting out, that if you come to Raqqa, if you come to Syria, you come to Iraq, you can build... Uh, a a new world for yourself you can build a new world for our sort of you know so-called Muslim caliphate And, and you know it's obviously it's a fake caliphate doesn't exist but from their mindset they are trying to find their place in society and I think part of that is led by some of the grievances that they face um, uh, and the, the situations they face in certain parts of the world where they are. If they are oppre- oppressed in certain ways, if they are uh, not, uh, uh, you know, integrated in certain ways, they're looking for that sense of belonging, a sense of identity. And, and, and joining this group in, uh, in Raqqa, in Syria, in Iraq, gives them that, uh, that sense of belonging, that identity. On the other side, when you have um, um, young men going over in record numbers uh, to join this fight, um, they are looking for um, a sense of being whole, creating a new society. And you can't do that without women, without, uh, without brides, without uh, a holistic fabric of society, if you will. And that's what ISIL is selling. They're not selling a bunch of hardened fighters in one zone. What they're saying is, we're a caliphate. And we have, to, we have to provide for a caliphate for men as well as for women. That's that false narrative that they're selling. Of course, when they actually get there, they're finding something very different, and that's sort what, of the narrative that we're talking about here. What are they finding when they get there? Well, that's the thing. They're finding, um, you know, death. They're finding destruction. They're finding um, that the, the, the promises that were sold to them don't exist. Uh, I think a perfect example is, you know, if you look at some of the messaging that, uh, that ISIL has put out about what the caliphate is, you know, beautiful sunsets and, you know, Kit Kats as far as the eye can see, um, and, and that they're there actually to do something good. But when they get there, they're realizing that it's a terrible place to be. There's no electricity. There is no, there's a food shortage there. You know, there's no food. There's, uh, it's a very difficult living situation. Uh, a lot of them do want to get out. They want to go back. But they can't. They're disallowed from going back. Passports are taken. They're threatened with physical violence or you know, death. And, and what we've learned, and I mentioned those those, uh, those girls from the UK that went over, one of them has been killed, and that's been confirmed. So they're finding that when they get over there, they're not there to build a new sort of caliphate. They're there to perpetuate this evil that ISIL is, is putting out there. So it's very different. Mr. Said, correct me if I'm wrong. I
0: think I've heard some stories and seen a little bit of anecdotal, at least, evidence that some of the people that are involved in this organization, the Islamic State Group,
2: in imprisoning these girls are women. That's correct. I think what we've seen um, across the board is that uh, that in order to recruit a young woman, it's actually better to have a young woman do that recruitment. And once they get across, they are um, uh, being put, I guess, in place with uh, other women to make sure that they stay in line and they stay, stay on, on point, if you will. So you're right. You are seeing uh, ISIL be very smart in how they're interacting with uh, with young girls and women.
0: We asked Irfan Saeed the same question that we asked Tara Maller from the Counter-Extremism Project. Are women joining this organization knowingly?
2: So I think there's a two-part question in what you ask. Are they going over knowingly? In many cases, yes. They are plotting well in advance. They're you know, saving up their funds. They are looking for passports or you know, taking someone else's passport to travel. So they are, for the most part, knowingly going over. But what they're knowingly getting themselves into is a very different story, and that's a different answer. In that respect, they are being duped on what they expect on the other side that's the danger and I think part of our response has to be getting that information out so that they can understand not only the sort of uh, what they can expect when they get there but uh, but to put information in place to make sure that they understand that they don't have to go Mm -hmm. there are ways to actually respond by staying where they are how are you responding So there's a comprehensive approach that we're putting together uh, with the State Department and USAID. Um, We have a, a strategy we put out. I encourage everyone to take a look at that strategy. It's on our website. But in a nutshell, the strategy says that we have to look more holistically in how we're pulling people away from this recruitment to violent extremism generally. I mean, ISIL is just part of the equation, right? They're the I don't want to say Johnny-come-latelys, but they're 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 the group right now that is getting the most press. But violent extremism and recruitment to violent extremism did not start with ISIL, and it's not going to end with ISIL. So we have to back up and look at those drivers. We have to look at those grievances. We have to look at those issues that's driving those people to actually decide that they want to do something else in their life by joining a terrorist group or joining a foreign conflict zone. That's not, uh, you know, a preferred way of going about business if you're a young person. So what we have to do is better understand those drivers, like do the research to figure out what's drawing someone from the U.K., from France, from Morocco, from Pakistan, from Central Asia, because it's different in everywhere you go. You can't just say that it's because of this problem that they're going over. There's many different ways, different methods. There's many different uh, problems that they have that are forcing them or driving them to go over. The second thing is we have to look at the environment that's breeding this dissatisfaction and these grievances. And so we have to put programs in place and we have to encourage our partners in nations around the world to look at that environment that's breeding these, this, 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 this distrust and this, this dissatisfaction. Then once you identify what are these drivers and who are these people that are being drawn to this, 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 uh, this narrative, how do you intervene? How do you actually get parents and teachers and soccer coaches and others to actually identify this person may be vulnerable, but then actually have the courage to tap that person on the shoulder to say, I think you, I think we have to talk? Mm-hmm. That's a very hard thing to do, as you know. Um, in addition to that, we're going to have people that go over. We're going to have people that have committed, you know, acts of violence or crime. Uh, How do you rehabilitate them? How do you reintegrate them back into society? And as you see gains on the battlefield, you're going to see more people return to their homelands. And when they do, there has to be uh, a sort of two-pronged approach there. If they are amenable to prosecution for, you know, joining a terrorist group, by all means, they should be prosecuted. But if they're not amenable to prosecution and they have returned, there has to be rehabilitation and, you know, reintegration programs in place. And the final thing I'll say on that is, you know, it, there's a messaging piece to this because ISIL and, and, and their forebearers, even al-Shabaab and al-Qaeda, you know, they understood the power of messages, the power of, you know, videos and, and memes and GIFs. And we have to find uh, partners, local partners, to actually respond by saying, well, that's not, that's not reality. That's not to say that the U.S. government should be doing that messaging. We know we have sort of limited reach, limited resonance, limited credibility. But the people on the ground, the partners on the ground, the people who have gone and come back, formers, they have greater credibility, and that messaging should come from them.
0: Morocco, in North Africa, is one of the countries around the world experiencing a dramatic increase in terror activity. But it's also one of the countries that's taken a tougher stand against terrorism. We spoke with Ed Gabriel, former ambassador from the U.S. to Morocco, who's currently now the head of the Moroccan American Center in Washington, D.C. What kind of uh, outreach is being made to young women or just women in general to keep them out of the, out of, to save them from possibly making the mistake that some others have made, like teenagers who've disappeared from countries to try to go join Daesh?
1: I think you've hit uh, the nail on the head. I think one of the most important issues in the developing world generally is the issue of women empowerment. Uh, women uh, who make a dollar uh, spend it on their children for education and food, uh, much more than a man would do. So uh, The king in his first speech as king in 1999, August of 1999 said, how can our country ever move forward if half of our population is disenfranchised. And he has, uh, ever since that talk, focused, I think, uh, a- as one of his most top priorities, the empowerment of women. You saw that the, the women laws were changed to equalize them. They have equal rights with men in 2003. And um, now those laws are being put together, and hopefully they will help as well but I think there's a long way to go in the developing world in general but the example that this king is setting by saying this is my top priority this is poverty and women are my top priority and he's said it since day one and he's passing laws to get there the problem is this is a generational issue as well so it's going to take a, a generation of changing the culture um, Um, in such a way that uh, we're used to. as As you've seen in America, we're still going through our own issues here with women.
0: That is indeed true. And we will take a look at women in the context of national security in the future. But coming up on our next program... The war against the Islamic State in Iraq. At one of the most difficult times in our history, Iraq has no ambassador here in Washington at this point. We'll speak to the former ambassador and find out why. I felt that the influence uh, I could have had uh, was not best utilized. I didn't want to to have an easy job. I was after a a job where I can contribute to our our society at this difficult time, as you may appreciate. And we'll talk with Luke Winfaili about the conflict that lay ahead to reclaim Mosul and the rest of Iraq from the Islamic State group. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.
2: I'm James Dellingpole, and you're going to love my podcast, Delingpole. We'll talk politics, movies, music,
1: or something really trivial that's pissing me off. Thursdays on my podcast, Dulling pole. I'm A.W.R. Hawkins from Breitbart.com. I love guns because I love freedom, and I hate liberalism. Join me on my podcast, Bullets, on Tuesdays on the Breitbart Podcast Network, brought to you by podcast1.com.